called for a repentance that filled up the deep, gashed-out valley of sin in a person's life and tore down the massive mountain of pride that straightened out the corrupt thinking of a twisted, sinful mind and smoothed out the rough places of habituated behavior. It seems like John was calling people to work, not to faith. But of course we know that can't be right. Welcome to this good day that the Lord has made. I'm Joel Van Hoogen and this is The Bread of Life. Our program is presented by the International Disciple-Making Ministry, Church Partnership Evangelism. I encourage you to learn more about the amazing work we're doing all around the world. Just go to traincpe.org and to learn more about this radio ministry or our Missions Fellowship in Boise, Idaho, go to breadoflifeboise.org. It's from that fellowship that I share with you God's Word for today. The repentance that John the Baptist called for was so vigorous and active that many have supposed he was speaking to the dispensation of the law and the Old Testament. They argue that the dispensation of grace is all about faith alone. But I would like you to understand that the repentance John called for was impossible for anyone who didn't have faith that God could work a miracle in their lives. Pride, I think, at least for myself, so maybe I'm just speaking myself, but I think this is probably true of you as well. Pride is the most resilient expression of self that there is. And it's the Christian's duty to always keep it in the dust. We are called to believe that God can, through our faith, move mountains. And the first mountain that God wants to move through our faith is self-pride. Trust and a confidence and a belief in ourself. Some idea that we can accomplish and measure up to some standard God has for us by our own efforts. Now, we're to die those things. We're to seek that God might help us to move that mountain. And by the way, again, this is an impossibility. <laughs> Filling up the valley of our sin is impossible. Tearing down the mountain of our pride is impossible. So even in these acts where we begin to deal with and beat our chest and turn away from our own pride, we have to believe that there's an answer to this effort or this movement that we make is, that is not in ourselves. Someone who is greater than our sin, who can fill it up. Someone who can level the self-exalting manner of our life and bring us and humble us before him. And there is. We'll talk about that in just a moment. The next thing it says is every crooked way has to be made straight. And what could this be? Well, I think the crooked way is the convoluted, self-justifying, self-preserving, self-defending, self-vindicating thinking that is constantly roiling around in our minds. Our minds are always addressing things bent and crooked. They're always double-dealing in our thinking, always finding the doubt in order to cover the things that we want to do and how we want to live. We're always trying to find ways to get through life with less and less dependence upon God, being more and more independent to ourselves, controlling the outcomes for ourselves, exalting ourselves. Self doesn't want to die. Self doesn't want to relinquish its role of lording or being king. Self wants favor and praise for self. Self wants excuses and reasons for why it is the way that it is so it can justify itself. We'll hold on to certain laws and certain rules and we'll give ourselves to those things in order to, in a sense, say that we've done it, that we've accomplished it, that we've commended ourselves to others and before God. We'll endlessly be turning around in our minds ways in which we could defend ourselves when we fail. I can do this. Give me one more chance. It was just this occasion. It was just this thing that messed me up. If you'd just straighten me out this way, God, if you hadn't brought that person in my life, there are all the things that our mind is constantly 
roiling through to defend itself and not turn in complete dependence upon God. We take the gospel that we hear and we twist the gospel of free salvation in Jesus Christ as a means to give us freedom to sin and pursue our own way of living and to live for our own self instead of live for Christ. We can be overcome with defeating thoughts that drive us away from God's way of truth and freedom as we submit and yield ourselves to him. We twist the word of God to satisfy our own itching ears, to satisfy some minor craving for assurance or comfort or to fulfill some covetous desire in our life. And then added to all of our own fleshly propensities to think of and navigate our world, justifying ourselves and supporting ourselves and coddling our own self-interest, Satan comes along as well, and he's constantly adding in convoluted ways of thinking, filling us with doubt, telling us to bow to this thing, telling us to question God, telling us that we're being denied some right, agitating the points of irritation where we haven't yielded our rights to God to say, no one has to deal with you that way, and on and on and on. And then added to all that, we have a world that's constantly whispering into our minds, a prescription for life that is contrary to the will of God and the way of God. All of these things happen to us. All of this comes upon us. Healthy ways of thinking, biblical ways of thinking, can be twisted by the pressures as well of past experiences that we've gone through, of hurts that we've experienced, and by the pressure of living in a community that has developed a whole system of human identity that's not based on the truth of God, and all these things press in upon us, and our thinking is convoluted, convoluted. Such a challenge when you go into a society and the gospel is first opening up in that society and they respond to the gospel, but then they have to go back and live in that society that has not had the bearing weight of the light of God's truth upon it. They're constantly being pulled back into the assumptions of darkness and it's not only true in those places, it's true in our lives as well. The point is that our way of thinking is oftentimes perverted by the pressures of our own flesh and by the world we live in and the experiences we've gone through, and by the devil himself. So what's to be confessed here? What is to be made straight? It's this. You say something like this. God, I like wisdom. My thinking is so convoluted and twisted by my own sinful tendencies to self-satisfaction and self-justification. I've been so turned around by my past, and by the age I've lived in, and the devil is constantly around whispering in my ear. I've confessed to you, O God, that I can't even think straight. And in that confession, a step is made in the right direction to straighten out the crooked ways of your life. A belief is beginning to form in you that's encouraged by the words of John that says that the crooked things can be made straight and that God can come and renew your mind to think those things that are true and right after him and again. That's almost an impossible thing to think, that you can unthink the things that you constantly, regularly, without even thought, think. But God can do that too. God, I want to think differently. I want to have a different mind about myself. I turn from these things. I don't give myself to think in the old patterns that I've thought before. I want to turn from these crooked things. And God can do that for you. Here's the last one. It says, the rough places shall be made plain or smooth and This actually seems much smaller than filling up a valley and much smaller than actually removing a mountain, maybe even easier than straightening out a crooked path. And yet I think this may be the one that we least believe God for of all these things. 
as evangelicals, we've been led to believe God can forgive me of all my sins and God can put his life in me and transform me and God's word is a light to my feet and a lamp to my path, but you know, I've got these habits. I got these rough things in my life that I was born with. I'm just like my dad. I'm just like my mom. It's just, you know, the, the, the temperament of my culture. It's just the way my people are. And I've always been impatient. You know, I just can't abide with fools or whatever it is. And deep down inside, we have a hard time believing that God can make us into a different person that we have developed as the pattern of behavior in our lives. We may be rude, we can be poor listeners. We can be impatient or pushy or irritable. We fly off the handle when someone cuts us off. We may be overeaters. We may tend to be thankless. We may have just kind of a deep, established insecurity in our life or pessimism in our life or a neediness in our life or a, a central weakness in our life that we've just decided is just the way we're going to be. And the other one is you might have all those things or some of those things and be completely unaware of them. Just everybody else who talks about you when you're not around is. God's given us a Bible full of passages that command us away from these rough ways that tell us where God wants to smooth us out so the road is not rough for him to come and bring his salvation, present and work his salvation in our lives. And if you don't know about those passages, but you've grown up in a home where your mother or your wife knows those passages, you've heard them, right? <laughs> They've shared them with you. How many times did our parents sit us down and read us some, some word from the Proverbs to address some area of your life? How many times has someone had read to them James 1.19? Let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. There's all kinds of passages like that. Warning against being crude or lazy or not providing for your family or being unkind or not being thoughtful or not being clean, etc., etc., etc. They go on. We are most prone to give these rough places in our life the pass. Oh, God, well, I want you to deal with those deep, grooved sins in my life. And, oh, God, I, I even want you to deal with the pride in my life. I don't want to trust in myself or my salvation. And, and oh, God, I, I do want you to help me think differently. I want your truth. But, you know, these things, well, they're, they're just always going to be around. They're, they're who I am. Maybe because deep down inside we think that it's impossible that change can be brought to these points in our life, that these are the most pernicious things, the things that hold on to us, actually the things that define us the most. But these two we must believingly repent of. We must believe that God can smooth out these areas in our life. We must believe that God can take these very things and work in us so profoundly that they'll be unrecognizable by a generation that might come towards the end of our life or as God has worked through those areas in our life. And all of a sudden they'll start there will be a generation that rises up that didn't know our past, somebody who hasn't, you know, in the past read all those statements to us, and they've never heard about our bad habits, and they might say just the opposite of what was said of us before. We have to believe that God can do that in our life. Here's our application. Valleys of sin, mountains of self and pride, crooked ways of self-justification and self-vindicating thought, rough ways of coarseness, these reveal the very places where King Jesus has come to address our lives. His salvation was meant to come and impact us in all these places. Hold on to them, don't turn for them, and they become obstacles that keep you from the King's saving work. 
our sin, our pride, our prejudices, our crude selfishness can inhibit. If we don't turn from them, and faith, believing that God can deliver us from these things, will keep us from the salvation he wants to bring to us. By the way, when we don't turn from this thing, it doesn't just impact us. When we turn from these things, we not only create a highway through which God can continue to bring his salvation to us. That's how it initiates. First, God brings his salvation to me because I recognize that all these things are a portrait and picture of my brokenness and my separation from the God of life. And I turn from them. God, I I turn from all these things. I don't know if I want to give a self-example of this, but I will for just a moment. I believe that the thing that really held me as a young man was a pharisaical pride. And a day came when God revealed to me the awful sinfulness of my pride. And what rose to my heart was a word of repentance. It was, oh God, I don't want to be Joel Van Hoogen anymore. I don't want to be that person at all. That's repentance. But the very cry also was a cry that said, oh God, I believe you. That you can do exactly that. That you can totally transform my identity. That might be so wrapped up in you that it would be God and it would be Christ in me and not myself. So we have to address these things. And the person who truly repents, believingly repents, repents with the belief that God can ultimately deal with all these things in our life. In fact, that's what a salvation does. It takes away my sin and it, it removes and dismantles my pride and it comes and it begins to give me a mind that can think the right things and have a clear understanding of God's will and God's way and it begins to smooth out my life. Repentance, as we're going to see, is only possible for the person who believes God can carry it out through them. But when believing that, what vigor there is in true repentance. This has been the Bread of Life, a ministry of Church Partnership Evangelism and the Bread of Life Church in Boise, Idaho. To learn more, go to traincpe.org or breadoflifeboise.org. Until the next time, may God bless you.